What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Are you trying to find the perfect distribution platform to get your music on Spotify and Apple? I personally use and love DistroKid. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash DistroKid to get a small discount and get access to a platform with unlimited uploads for a yearly fee. Happy uploading and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Mix of Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Low Pass Lou. Hey. Yeah. Uh, as of last night, technically, there was a Low Pass hit to my hairline. <laughs> you want to tell the audience the backstory? Because that made no sense. <laughs> Without <any> context. context. <laughs> so if you guys are in the LA or Orange County area, in Buena Park, there is an event called, uh, what was it? The 17th Door Fearless. And uh, you had to sign a waiver basically saying like, yeah, you know, um, it's cool if you guys touch me. If there's It's a haunted like, house with a waiver. Yeah, it's a haunted house with a waiver that even says like, if you die, that's on you. Um, like if you get injured, that's on you. You can't sue us. Um, well, part of the rooms is one of them. They have like a barbershop chair and I'm over here thinking that they're just going to be scaring people, but no, no, they, they really go for your hair. So they size zero me on like two lines, making me look like Mr. T. So last night I decided, you know what? I'm going to look pretty gangster for the next couple of days. I'm going to go size zero. <laughs> there you go. Oh yeah. Anyway, uh, today, so Lou is looking extra guapo uh hairless oh yeah hairless because you even like match trim the beard to match it yeah exactly like it's it's i'm gonna i'm gonna say it like i know this is a little cocky but i rock it i make it look good and then uh i'm looking the opposite i'm looking extra hairy because (laughs) every november i've been doing this since high school so yeah over a decade every november i do movember and i Mm. just grow a mustache every november and uh, so all of October for the last few years, I've been growing out the entire beard instead of like having an ugly phase of the mustache. I just do the entire beard all month long and then just shave off the beard and leave the mustache in November. So uh, 
I think for that month, you should uh, create Daddy D videos, but in the uh, loving, accepting father persona. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that old man on Instagram that's like, oh, hey, son, what are you doing there? Here, how about you take out the trash while I wash dishes? It's like we're a team. We're on the same team, bud. What? But, yeah, because whenever <laughs> you have the giant mustache, I'm always like, dad looks, uh, DK looks like the dad that grew up and his kids are in like their 20s now. And he's like, hey, bud, how you been? That's right. That's right. And the creepy <laughs> part, the, the as, as my wife says, the creepy part about the mustache, the worst part is that it actually looks good. And so, <laughs> um, that's that's the Miami DK. That's, that's Daddy right. D. In that's Miami. Right. Well, anyway, today we have a very exciting episode. We wanted to talk about something that I think almost everybody would be interested. I think this is going to exclude very few people that are listeners of the podcast. But we're going to talk about some ideas and some thought processes that you should be having. Some some ideas. We're trying to trigger and spark some ideas for you about how to make your first thousand dollars in a month yeah now from music specifically from music mm -hmm. so the thing is when you're when you may start making money from music i'm gonna i'm gonna say this the first things first is that there's not gonna be a point where it's like oh my gosh i started doing well like all of a sudden you're gonna look back and you're gonna be like when did i start doing well i didn't realize yeah that i started doing okay like Maybe the first time that you pay rent with 100% of the income that you make from like music, it'll be like a really big, cool experience. But after like most of the time, you're going to look back and it's going to be slow, gradual increases year over year, month over month. Um, and it, there's not there's no real turning point. Yeah. I think the biggest turning point is like decisions that you make and the level of commitments that you decide to keep for yourself. Um, and today we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And we're going to talk about different types of business processes and business ideas. Um, a lot of this is taken from an old Brian Hood video when he was doing Six Figure Home Studio, which is now Six Figure Creative. We mm -hmm. need to get, we were talking about getting Brian back on the show. He's been on the guest, he's been a guest on the show. Um, but first off, uh, we, this is the Mixing Music Podcast. So we're going to clarify and say that this is going to come, a lot of this business comes from the idea of charging per song or per project and not per hour or per day. Yeah. Per hour or per day is a very normal type of billing system that I think works for people who waste your time, but it is, doesn't work when you're trying to make more money per hour, squeeze in more projects and do better in the long run. It's not scalable, meaning that assuming that you have 40 hours of commitment right yeah. a week that you're able to actually block out 40 hours week by week, someone's giving you work like that might be worth it, but you're not incentivized to do better. Yeah. And the thing is like, if, if you start doing less hours, if you're not working, you're not making money yeah. and no matter how good of a job you do, um, you're not increasing your income. So there's a lot of negative things with charging per hour or per day as well. And then on top of that, like if you charge per project or per song, you are incentivized and you make more money per hour. If you delegate, if you automate, if you maximize your systems, um, which is kind of what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So Lou, I'm going to talk about um, a few different things. Sure. That we need to, we need to, this is a few business models and this is ripped directly from that Brian Hood video, mm -hmm. but I think it, it's like, it's so good mm -hmm. that you want to be paying attention to this. So number one, as a mixer, don't charge per hour. 
Yeah, don't do that. And I would go as far as to, if you're trying to mix, then stop tracking. Like, stop tracking per hour. Like, that's so difficult to, it's it's always an awkward conversation. Hey, I want you to mix. Yeah, but like, I charge per song. Yeah, but like, we're already here in the studio paying, and I'm paying per hour. Can you just do it right now? Like, nah, because this is a rough mix and you got to explain. It's just yeah. so messy that we do not recommend tracking per hour and then offering mixing yeah. per song. Like you got to pick one or the other. The only way to get around that is having a clause of like, at the end of the day, that's the end of the mix. Yeah. You know, it, if you're going to pay me per hour, then there is no after hours. Yeah. And th- yeah, exactly. And that but just gets messy. Even then it's like, all right, we're going to do this per hour. It's, it's just, it's just such a messy way to do business to yeah. split it up like that. So what the, there's two options. If you want to do both, then you're going to have to commit to mixing during the session per hour, or even including recording in the per project, per yeah. project or per session rate. So it's like, it's $400 a day. And you know what? If if that includes mixing, I'll include mixing during that time. Yeah. Right. But you, it's I. We do not recommend. It is such a messy business to do per hour for tracking and then per song or project for mixing and trying to do both in the same business. It's just too messy. It's annoying. Don't do that. Um, and again, we as a whole recommend that if you are trying to mix and even if you're trying to record, it's more scalable and it's in an, it's more incentive for you doing better work, faster work. If you charge per project per song, and we're going to talk about that as well. So these are the four levels of business and these numbers are very specific that Brian Hood gave, but it's more of the concept that we want to talk about. And number one way to make $1,000 a month is something along the lines, and this is the exact numbers that Ryan gave, which is 30 songs at $35 a song. So high quantity, mm-hmm. low cost. Lou, have you ever, at the beginning of your career, did you do that? Like a high quantity, low cost you know, wise? I did most of my early career that way. I didn't go as low as 35. I went as low as like 100. Um, and the main reason was cause I was in LA, there was a higher minimum wage and stuff. So in, in LA specifically, you can do a little more, but, um, realistically speaking, like I did do it for a little bit and I, I found a major plot hole in there, plot hole, pothole in there, which was a lot of the people that were trying to pay me that amount also didn't know that their level of investment was actually considered small in the grand scheme of what they were looking for. Um, And because of that, I was working with some people who knew what they were investing with. And there was a lot more people who just expected a higher product than I could provide at the time, you know, and it wasn't a matter of like expectation versus my want to do it. It's like, I just didn't have the skill set yet. So I couldn't charge more because I couldn't charge more. There were people who were looking for a deal and were expecting more. And so it was one of these potholes where it's like, well, this is what I can offer at this price point. You know, this is just as me. This is me, 18 year old me trying to get into this industry. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, it's, yeah. it's not a deal based on I'm just trying to give deals. It's a deal based on my skill set. So that price point also made it to where some people just didn't take me seriously. 
Of course. And that's one of the issues that we're going to talk about. Yeah. So uh, we are talking, this conversation is based off of being a provider, not being the consumer. Obviously, mm-hmm. the consumer thing is people will look at you skeptically. There's people that are lower F skill level and higher maintenance are going to hire you at a lower price point. Yeah. Professionals do not even consider people at $35 per song for a mix. No, they don't. So, And the professionals are the ones that pay more and cause the least amount of hassle, mm-hmm. that pay invoices immediately, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, but there are pros to this. So number one, this is the way I didn't quite do $35 per song. In fact, when I was charging the least amount, I was charging, I think like $45 an hour and I was doing hour. I wasn't quite into mixing yet. And the cool thing about charging so little is that, um, one of the, the cool things is that you do have potentially a higher level of interest and a wider audience range. Mm-hmm. Um, that audience is t- typically less skilled, less invested in their own business, less invested in their art. Um, not like they're younger, which means usually more high maintenance, yeah. less experience. Um, they want to mix the song and they're telling you how to mix the song, not letting you do your own thing. And that's partially because you don't know what to do. Yeah. Like you're still fairly fresh, fairly new, or at the very least, you're not, if you're not charging that much, it's also a showcase of how, how much confidence you have. Yeah. So even if like, even if you've been doing this for years and you're still charging very little, that might be because you don't feel confident enough and feel like a level of imposter syndrome if you do start to charge more, which we'll get into a little bit later. The, mm. the pro to doing high quantity, low cost, especially towards the beginning of your career, is that if you over deliver and you kill it, and you give them a $100 service for $35 per song, if you give them a $100 mix for $35 and everybody walks away like this was the best deal of my entire life, I can't, like what's going to happen is that those, each and every customer is going to be a marketing agent for you. Like they're just a billboard. They're going to talk, they're going to find potential clients for you, people that might be interested. Oh my gosh, Lou, there's this guy that... Well, let's let's say we say like business signs. Yeah. There's this guy that made a business sign. He charged two hundred dollars less than I thought he was going to do, and he did a fantastic job. I would consider that. Oh, guy. do you want to check out this guy yeah. making business signs? So it's immediate marketing, word of mouth. And to be fair, word of mouth is almost a hundred percent of everything that we do for our business, which is a white glove, yeah, uh, creative service. Right? Um, it's not what we do is not a template based thing. What we do is uh, per song, per artist. So that's a little bit different. We're going to talk about scalability in that sense. So $1,000 a month is 30 songs at $35 a month. Now, another thing that you have to consider is that when you're priced that low, one thing that you do have to realize is that you're also competing against the fucking internet. Yeah. Because there's going to be $25 to $35 mixes available at any single time on Fiverr. Fiverr, yeah. Yeah, on Fiverr. So one way that you can beat people out... And this is another pro is that if you're charging that little and competing with the internet, people mm-hmm. will more likely to hire you even at the same price point because they see you and they know you and it's face to face. And that goes a long way versus some random person that kind of shows his face sometimes maybe on the internet on yeah. Fiverr. Um, and again, people that are looking for quality service typically don't go to Fiverr to begin with. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the math is... 30 songs, $35 a song. The problem with that is that you have to constantly be looking for clients. Yeah. So um, Brian Hood said, you know, if you have 60 to 70 leads every single month, if you do well converting that and you get 50% of those leads every single month, that's going to be $1,000 a month. Yeah. And that's just not sustainable. It's not. Honestly, when you think about like having a, a conversation with 20, 30 people, 
Can you remember every little detail that you agreed to over the phone? No, it'd have to be completely systemized through like email, file pass, everything. If there was any revision request, that also goes against your dollar per hour. Yeah, I, there's been a few people that did that. Maybe not quite $35 a song, but still relatively mm-hmm. low. So high ticket, low ticket prices. Yeah. And then um, this like, is the- this You've is seen the, me uh, refund people just off of, uh, not not because I thought they were bad people, but the level of attention versus like- what price points we agreed to for a certain service. It's like, whoa, hold on. Hold on. You just wrote me a 44-page revision request. I think we are the wrong person for you, um, which I'm not saying revisions are bad. I'm just saying sometimes when you get into those dollar points uh, and you start looking at how much you're doing per hour, yeah, not 20 to 30 people. That's a lot of people to actually keep track of. Every little detail needs to be paid attention to just as well. Sometimes that lower price point is actually shooting yourself in the foot for efficiency purposes. Yeah. Um, Like once you get to a higher dollar point, like if you're doing label work, yeah. You know, Michael Jackson had how many revisions and then went back to number three? There's yeah, that, that's right. Like the what was that? Was uh, that Billy Jean? Yeah, it was Billie like Jean almost said like 97 revisions, yeah. and they went back to mix three. Anyway, yeah. something like that. Bruce Woodin there. Um, anyway, the the reason why number one is also good. Another pro to this is eventually, as you scale, and if you can completely automate your system, this is the ideal situation. Yeah, meaning that if you can somehow figure out a way to totally make your business like template form mm-hmm. or like to automate it completely where you have to do 0% of the work or only 1% of the work involved in order to get these get Projects these products out, out yeah. then you're going to eventually get to number 1 cuz yeah. then you can beat people's pricing maintain the same quality of work and just make your income by scalability of like how many customers you serve and if everybody's happy you're going to have more people spreading your brand yeah. so you're going to hit this point where it's like, okay, I'm charging a lot, but now I'm working with a lot less people. And mm-hmm. if you can somehow figure out a way to automate it so hard and so heavily that you can go back to this number one, even better. Uh, and you can actually scale your business that way even more. But in our industry, that is almost impossible. The only yeah. One of the only ways that I've seen it done creatively is there's this online e-mastering service Yeah, that is, uh, what is it? It's Aria... I don't remember what it is, but the dude literally, the mastering engineer literally programmed a robotic arm Mm -hmm. and twists knobs on his mastering desk. So it's going through analog tube gear and it's literally just twisting knobs. And that's scalable because it can run 24 hours a day, 24 seven. He doesn't have to be there. Thus he could charge $35 a song for mastering and it's still analog mastering. And if people think that that's important, so it's just totally scalable. Like that's, that's one of the exceptions why that's okay. But most of the time, again, we are a white glove business, meaning that each project is handpicked and is customized for the client. Mm -hmm. It's not like a generalized product. And what's funny is you do also have to uh, consider like, if you are at a certain dollar point, there are the, you are competing aside from the internet people, you are competing against AI nowadays. You know what I mean? So part of it is going back to it. You need to give that service. So if it's too many people for you to be able to give like attentive service to, then you need to find a way to shrink the number and still be able to maintain like a growth pattern. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, maintain that growth pattern for sure. Number two type of business and numbers wise, if you're going to break it down is 10 songs at $100 per song. Now, this is kind of probably where most of the people are going to land. This is kind of where you and I landed. I remember charging 
$100 per song, per mix, actually for like a couple of years. I remember when we first started working together, I asked you how much you were charging because I was like, oh, you should be charging X amount. And you're like, no, I charge 80. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Was I doing that little? <laughs> you were doing 80. At the very and, yeah, because I remember like being shockingly. And that's not gr- upset, but like the the shock alone was enough to have me like, what? Why? What are you that's doing? That's interesting. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, again, I think that partially, even me, I'm like, I think that was partially due to confidence, but it was also yeah, partially due yeah. to like market value. I was living in Utah. Yeah, where exactly. Overhead is really low. Yeah, I think that's where like our difference of like starting price points was different. Like LA's minimum wage was very different than like Utah's minimum wage. Yeah. So and like hundred dollars was more accessible, and it's here. Yeah, and the demand yeah. of the service is just totally yeah. different as well. But um, yeah, now you're doing. I know you're doing really well on your numbers and everything. I know you're getting paid a fair amount and stuff. But that comes back to like. You know, as you increase your numbers, yeah, your clientele number might shrink, but it comes back to the service. Like once you increase that number, the people that stuck with you at that $35 an hour range are also accept, uh, expecting not just the same quality service, but if not uh, better, you know, you know, they're not expecting you to just be like, oh, I charge 100 now. And they're getting still the same 35. And maybe now that you have more time on your hands, they're getting the same level of communication. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, on that note, you were talking about, you mentioned the per hour thing. Yeah. On number one, $35 per hour for 30 hours is a thousand dollars. Yeah. If you can somehow, and most people have 30 hours in a month outside of their 40 hour a week Mm -hmm. full-time job that they can dedicate to making an extra thousand dollars a month. It's again, the only difficult thing with that tier one and even for tier two and, or all of them is just the sheer amount of volume of leads that you need to create. Mm Mm-hmm. So, which is tough to do because a lot of the time it's going to have to be in person and we could talk about ideas to generate leads. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's not something that it's not as simple as paying for Instagram or Google map ads. Yeah. That can do a little bit, but that's, it's not as simple as that, you know? Yeah. Not only that, but uh, I guess you can say confidence built behind the veil of an ad is not really a thing. Yeah. 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 Confidence and Trust, trust, breaking down the barriers of trust is something that is super important. Anyway, number two is, I mean, realistically, if you do 10 songs at $100 per song, that's like two songs a week, two songs a week at $100 per song. Yeah, it's about, it's a really doable thing. That is very doable. Yeah. It's super doable. As far as like how long it takes to mix a song, very doable, but it is a little bit more difficult to find clients. So you're going to have to generate at least 20 to 30 leads a month. Yeah. No, more than that. More, yeah. Uh, if if you think about it, like, uh, you ever heard about like how to break down the percentage of people that would likely buy like merch from you if you're an artist on Instagram, you take 10% of uh, your total following. That's how many people are going to like, take 10% of that. That's how many people are going to comment, take 10% of those. And those are the people that click in your league, 10% of those, those are people actually buying. So you really only got like a 1% shot of your in total audience, you know, yeah. of them buying merch. Now, if you're reaching out and talking to an artist every week, you make it a point that every day you reach out to five people in 30 days you could hit up 150 people if 10 percent of those people were to actually start a conversation that's 15 leads 
Yeah. But it takes three to five people per day for you to reach out. If you're just starting out, that's actually very doable. You can just go on Instagram, go on the explore page, look for new artists and just see any music that you really like. You know what I remember? I I know that people often complain about how to find leads. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's those people that whether it's through lessons or through conversations, it's like I just am unable to find clients. And it, I think it's because I live in fucking Cincinnati, Ohio. But the internet and like, exists. Yo, you don't. Yeah, you're not on the internet. You don't go yeah. out to take people to coffee. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's do a little bit of a tangent here. Mm-hmm. Five minute tangent. Number one, like a couple ideas to help spark your mind. So one, if you are truly a creative, you should be able to creatively find ways mm-hmm. to find leads. This and, is part of being yeah. creative. So use your creative genius to find leads. Number one that we always suggest is budget, like put cash into an envelope if you need to, Mm -hmm. but budget at least once a week, taking someone to coffee or to lunch, like budget that in and, and make sure that you pick a day. You always reach out to people, take someone out to lunch or for a coffee at least once a week minimum and budget that into your monthly budget. Yeah. Another way you can do that is what we've done at the studio, which is uh, mixers little seminars and everything. That's how we did it. Yeah. yeah. We did open mics. And uh, if you were to do 150 bucks a month as your budget, right? 150 bucks can buy quite a bit of soda and snacks and stuff like that. You just do like a past the ox event. You don't have to even bring any. You can just, you could just not take any bookings for a a span of two to four hours. Yeah. And as long as you have like a space that's comfortable for anybody to know, like if you're doing it out of your home, I wouldn't recommend doing an open mic where people can just walk into your home and know where you live. Right. But I mean, if you have a commercial location, that's one of the ways that I increased my income significantly was I started hosting hip hop open mic nights, uncensored open mic nights. And uh, that blew the studio up. Like that increased my earnings quite a bit as far as the studio goes. Um, But anyway, yeah, getting traction indoor, that led to a lot of lead generation. Everybody respected me as Mm -hmm. the person putting it together. It was great. The trust was built. Uh, Another thing that you can do, and this is something that we did at the studio that a few interns have done that Mm -hmm. was surprisingly really effective is all they did was compliment people on Instagram. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this song is so great. And they commented it. Hey, yeah. like, I love your music. And it's not like, come book us. It was just like, oh my gosh, I love yeah. your music. Hey, well, one dude, of the terms of doing that is literally that people are like, who's this person? And they're going to go to your profile and see what you do. And if yeah. they're interested, they might bring it up. If not, you can always bring it up later, but just having a genuine conversation of something that you either you like of theirs or you mutually like, like, uh, recently I found a client over Pokemon which is hilarious. But I just saw that he was collecting cards and I was like, Hey, by any chance have you checked out the artwork for the upcoming set? And the guy's like, Oh, you do Pokemon. I was like, yeah, yeah. I I love Pokemon. And he's like, Oh shit. We got into a conversation two days later. He's like, Hey, I just noticed you actually master. I have an EP coming out. Like, would you be interested? I'm like, sure. And we just started a conversation, you know, but the funny thing is it was just over saying like, Hey, I like your mutual interest. Yeah. And that goes into the number, I guess, like another end of this tangent Mm -hmm. is that the secret to marketing or sorry, not marketing, the secret to networking, Mm -hmm. networking. And here, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. This is going to be a game changer for a lot of people. This is how you keep it from being scary. And this is how you make it effective is don't try to sell your product. Don't even bring up your product. The main goal when you meet people is just to relate to them and try to be their friend. Yeah. I hate to say it, but most people don't want to talk about work. When they're not working or like if they are interested in your product, they will ask you and they will find out on their own. You look cooler. It's less stressful. And again, like what you're doing and is even if they're not a qualified 
potential client, mm-hmm. then if they like you, they will know who to recommend you to. It's yep. like, hey, I met this dude at the at the at the open mic that does this service, or yeah. at the bar at, that does this service. And like, it's like, hey, I might know him. someone that might why yeah. that's been needing that. But uh, if they don't like you, they're not even going to find that person, offer it to you, or recommend you to anybody else. Yeah, the funny thing is, um, so my friend, uh, actually our friend Diane uh, DB. Uh, she goes to an engineering mixer every Wednesday and this and that's kind of like a lunch. Uh, she invited me to go, um, couldn't make it, but somebody that she met there, uh, came from Mexico city. He's like new to LA and everything. Uh, obviously speaks Spanish, right? Be weird if he didn't. Um, but he also does live sound and I've been looking for more Spanish speaking live sound engineers. And so she recommended him over. I'm like, you know what? Since you came from DB, like I kind of trust you a little more because DB wouldn't send me people that shouldn't be working with us. Of course. Um, so the funny thing is, uh, even though me and her are both engineers, we both don't need each other's service necessarily. The cool thing is that we can also recommend people that kind of match up alongside us. So when you go to networking events, it isn't just about finding that client, but sometimes people that can connect you to potential clients. Yeah. You know, in this case, I found somebody that can actually work alongside me and uh, going back to like how we price things out, right? Whether it's 35, 100, 500, whatever. Um, at some concerts, I'm working with a fixed budget and I have to look at, okay, well, I have X amount of work. I need to be able to offload some of this work. I'm looking for assistance and things of that nature. If you're looking for work, it's not always the artist that's hiring. Sometimes it's your peers. That's right. So we're gonna. I'm going to end the tangent there and go back to this business model list. So number two, again, is 10 songs a month at $100 per song, that leads to $1,000. That is reasonable. That's doable. Oh, yeah. um, again, $100 an hour. You know, at this point, $100 per hour is not as likely. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can be making more than that if you charge per project and do a quick job yeah. on the project. Okay. Number three, and this is, I think, the ideal. This mm-hmm. is where eventually you want to get to uh, at like a local level without yeah. getting labels yeah. involved, without, without... That's a whole other conversation. Out. Like a healthy place to make a thousand dollars is five songs a month. Mm-hmm. So one song a week at two hundred dollars per song. For the part timer, for the person that is trying to build a business in order to be full time, mm-hmm. I think this is a great balance. Yeah, uh, this is eventually where you want to get to two hundred dollars per song, five songs a month. You only generate, you still do like you know ten to twenty leads. But it shows that $200 a song is, it's not steep, it's not expensive, but it still like shows that you might know what you're doing a little bit more than the average Joe on Fiverr. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still an accessible price and um, you have the leeway to spend more time on it. One song a week is really easy to figure out as far as like time budgeting wise. Um, And you're able to not have to work as hard. The only problem, the only con with this is the opposite of the pro with one business model one is that you're only at, if you do five songs a month, you only have five clients to impress a month. So the reason why we yeah. don't recommend this at the beginning is that although this takes less work for the same amount of money, at the beginning stages of your career, more work for less money is not bad because you get more people that you get to convince and more people that you get to work with, more more people that you win over and build mm-hmm. trust with that can then recommend you to other people. Yeah. If you can, from the beginning, start charging $200 a song with only five songs people a month, then that that is great for your wallet, but it's not ideal for your marketing unless those five songs are hyper consistent. And at the end of the day with like freelancers, it's, it's about consistency. It's not about how much you're charging. It's about how much you can charge consistently. Yeah. Consider your client base to also be like 
a quality check of how far you're moving. Like if you're dealing with one local artist every couple days, uh, not every local artist is releasing a song every week, every month, you know? But if you're dealing with management, they might have a roster of artists that need these services and they're trying to systemize and keep everything flowing efficiently because the manager doesn't make money unless the artist is making money. And if the artist isn't doing anything, then the manager isn't doing anything, you know? So at the same time, depending on who those clients are specifically, like if you're, like I said, if you're working with a manager, they might be able to bring you five different songs because they might have 10 artists that they're working with. And each one of them has to release a minimum of once every two months or something. So you might have one mix for each one of the artists every month or so. But once again, that's assuming that you've also started qualifying your clients differently in hopes of growing a little better. Yeah, and, and yeah. at the same time, you have to constantly be putting out quality work so they want to keep coming yep. back to you. And you not only does the quality the work have to be quality, but it has to be easy for you to work with you. Yeah, if you're because always if, late on delivery. Late on yeah. delivery or if you're bad at communication or things of that nature, it's just it's there's friction to work with you, then that's yeah. another way that you can lose clients as well. Yeah. Like, but if it's like, oh, quick turnaround, it's really easy. I just send him the files, he sends it back to me almost immediately. Yep. Oh, like that makes them want to write more songs. That makes it easy. Yeah. Like that makes the process easier. You make more money that way. All right. Lastly, the four number four is charge one song at a thousand dollars per song. The reason why this isn't ideal for most people is that it's gonna be really, really tough to convert that one person. Yeah. To find that one person, to convince them that you're worth it, especially if you don't have a huge portfolio. Now, this is only this only works one song at a thousand dollar only works if you have a very large portfolio, you have great branding, yeah. you are notorious for doing good work and for working with high level people. Or like, you are the most confident person and were able to sell yourself that hard on the get go. Yeah, and no, <laughs> to be honest, even then, like it's hard to build that trust without proof. Yeah. So it's like the difference between three or four, I am honestly gonna say is branding. Yeah. Like it's literally just branding. It's not a unique skill set. It's mm -hmm. not you having analog gear. It's branding. Yeah. Are you the guy that's notoriously how everybody else works with you? You're so easy to work with. You're reliable. You've worked on every single record that I grew up listening yep. to. You know, you're going to be able to charge more for and and then still have consistency in your clientele. But at the beginning phase, $1000 per song is not a price that is easy to attain. In mm -hmm. fact, I don't know anybody that's only doing independent work charging that much for mixing. I know very few people, like some people on YouTube have talked about it. Mm. I know a few, but it's all... It's the top 1% for sure. Yeah, it's it's like th definitely the majority of them are mutual friends of ours. Yeah. Um, now, charging $1,000 yeah. per song is like the minimum for labels. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, as far fact, as like it's kind of odd when you invoice for less. Yeah, so yeah. as far as like independent artists goes... Um, independent work goes like a thousand dollars per song is like the definitely the top five to one percent yeah easily um and that you have to earn yeah. you have to be doing this for years and you've got to have uh plenty of content in the world praising your name versus you praising yourself yeah i would not if you get if you are thinking about how to make your first one thousand dollars a month this is not the business strategy we recommend yeah yeah, we recommend sticking to, uh, you know, 100 to $200 per song. And if you really need to, if you're young and new to the game, you don't have experience, you don't have a portfolio, you don't have any past clients, um, you yourself feel like an imposter or feel unsure about your own confidence.
right? Because you you're, have a certain amount of self-awareness. Then maybe you start doing 35, 25 to $50 per song and you work your way up from there. Yeah. Now there are people that I talk to that charge that long and that have been doing it for that long for like three years and they're doing well on Fiverr. Yeah. And I'm like, why the heck are you still charging it's that systems. little? Yeah. Well, I mean, for them, it's just a side gig as well. Oh, that's true. But, um, but you can't, you can't make it a primary gig charging that little unless you're doing like a hundred songs a month. Yeah. And that's just difficult to scale. That's just so difficult to scale. Um, the most that I've ever done is a thousand and nineteen songs a year, which is more than three times the amount of like Serb and Ganea or any yeah. other like high producing uh, mixer. It's just, it's just impossible to do. Yeah. A hundred songs a month, 1200 yeah. songs a year. Yeah. Fucking right. Yeah. Four songs a day. Hell, hell no. Nah. Um, that's just not possible. So you, eventually you're going to have to scale. You're going to have to start charging more, but at the beginning phases, when you know, you're not having a lot of clients when you're just trying to make your first thousand dollars, you've never made money from this in the past. Business one is a great place to start. I think this is, this is like uh Brian hood kind of announced or not announced talked about these four levels of business as like these are your four options you got to pick mm. one but i'm saying that it's kind of more of like a progression like mm. i think most people should start at a high quantity low price they move into a little bit lower quantity um like low, still medium low price they move into lower quantity higher price and then like high price Based the and the elasticity of the business is based on brand, so it's just like yeah. you're branded well, you can live on it. Also, if you're getting older and if you have family, if you have kids, you yeah. can't spend as much time working on your side hustle or or primary hustle. Um, you don't want to spend as you're burned out, you don't yeah. want to spend as much time working on your primary hustle. That's when you start doing, or let's say you want to phase it out. This is another, this is another scenario. You're a songwriter producer that also mixes. You, you start mixing, you start making good money from mixing. You make business from mixing. Mixing turns out to be the highest, most profitable part of your business. And, and we know, but we both yeah. know people that do this yeah. and they're like, you know what? Actually, I don't want to make money from mixing anymore. I want to go back to my roots, which is producing and writing songs. Yeah. And one way to get yourself out of doing this while still making some money is to all of a sudden increase your rates to a thousand dollars per song. Yep. So many people are not going to hire you anymore, but you still maintain that PR. Yep. It's like, oh, this guy is doing a good job and that's why he's raising his rates. So it's, it's, um, so you don't have to say yes to as many projects. You don't have to do as many projects. And you can go back to whatever else that you were doing. The the you have time now yep. for, but that's only an issue if you don't have time to do what you really want to do anymore. Yeah. So, um, just things to think about. A uh, couple things here that I want to talk about is this is one thing that we always talk about. Lou and I always recommend. We always talk about is imposter syndrome is a real thing. Yeah, people feel guilty. They don't believe in themselves as much. Um, number one, that's a good thing. And that's your brain telling you some useful information. If you don't feel like you're good enough, you probably aren't good enough. And, yeah. and, and the good thing about that is that with time, with practice, you can feel more confident. If you truly put in the time and your brain knew, okay, I am doing this. I am doing this consistently. I've been doing this for a long time. That confidence is going to grow no matter how self-aware you are. Like, it's just a matter of time. And that is something, the worst, I mean, it's not bad, but if you have this delusion, so if you're just dumb and you have low IQ and you just have this delusion that you think you're the goat from the beginning and haven't, have only <laughs> been mixing for two or three years, you know, yeah, you're just a dumb motherfucker, uh, that <laughs> like if you're still, if you're still trying to figure out your DAW's basic workflow, 
you probably shouldn't be charging too much. Yeah, or, or no, you should charge much and uh, you know lose all your clients, so I gain them. Um, <laughs> but number one is if you do feel some sort of imposter syndrome, the good news is that that that's normal. That's fine. The good news is it's in your control to get rid of it, to get better. But I do want to make sure one thing, one way to avoid imposter syndrome, one way to avoid um, people leaving one-star reviews and honestly just being happy and converting more people to preach your gospel, to recommend you more, Mm -hmm. is if you charge $35 for a song, you always at minimum double the amount of value that you give them. For example, Mm -hmm. if you charge $35 a song, you make sure that they get a $70 service. If you charge $100 per song, you make sure that they get a $200 service. Not just in their eyes, but in your eyes too. What do you think a $200 service is? And you give them that. If you charge $200 a song, you give them a $400 service in your own eyes. If you give more than you take, not only will you eventually start earning more and having more consistent clients because you win them over, but your self-conscious, your conscience will be clear and you you will understand that you you need to charge more you're not going to feel guilty about taking people's money yeah so always 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 over deliver that is a huge thing if you are at any point giving people a 25 dollars service and charging them 25 dollars and giving them a 25 dollars service you are going to lose mm. both mentally as well as financially in business so one thing i've heard in the past is uh you never want to actually charge what something is worth. You always want to charge a little more. Reason being is that the moment you start taking a step back and things of that nature, you're instantly providing less of a value in the service. If you're charging uh, less and the service is great, right? You over deliver every time. Even if you were to take one step back, it's still an over deliverance by scale. Even if that is the case where you can't over deliver this time, they still got the value of it. But when you pay exactly the value for something, you never really feel that connected to it, which means the person that's charging you for something, the product isn't always the mix. The product is sometimes the interaction and the level of communication and efficiency. That's the product. You know, when you think about like working with management, they don't really care why you were late. You were late. That messed up their workflow. The mix could have been great. It could have been bad, but the lateness was the issue. The product is the service. So when you actually just, charge the rate and provide the rated service. Even if you had one bad day and you suddenly just can't deliver on that same level that day, you're now giving them subpar service. You should always shoot to actually over deliver in the hopes that even on a bad day, you still delivered even some percentage above par, you know, but you never want to be the baseline because there is no connection to baseline. What What is that phrase that we heard and we started using a, a few months ago? It's like, if you can't mix better then deliver the project faster. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. I asked for it in five days. He gave it to me yesterday. Yeah. Wow. You know, that, that honestly does work. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about another concept too, just to kind of, to cement it in everybody's mind. Have you ever been to a restaurant or had a service or paid for something by a friend? Not like a, Uh, a chain restaurant, but you Mm -hmm. find some shop in the corner and you're like, Oh, I need to go. And it's really cheap and it's really good. And you genuinely feel like you got way more value than you took. Then you're like, you think that we would say, okay, we got to keep this place a secret. 
No. But what always happens you tell is, is like you feel a demand. Like you feel like I need to go as fucking as much as possible before they yeah. raise their prices, which I know they will because they're way too good for how much they charge. So how little we they charge. actually have that right down the street from the studio. It's the Coenga General Store. How many times have you heard me preach their sandwiches? Yeah. So that's it's like, okay, this is like a local secret. So we need to keep going. And I need to tell everybody like, before they raise their prices, yeah. we need to keep going. Because it's like, for the consumer, it's like them raising their prices is an inevitable because they, yeah. you feel like, oh my gosh, this guy's losing money out on it. Yeah. So um, don't be afraid that if you do too much for too little, that people are going to be afraid and not not share your business because they want to keep you a secret. That is That doesn't happen yeah. in economics. That just doesn't happen. Um, that's how you spread your word faster. So again, yeah. get used to that sort of idea. Um so always over deliver. Don't charge. Okay. Another thing that people tend to do as well is they're like, uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to do as good of a job. So instead of making you pay $200, you know, I'm going to discount it to $150 because I personally don't feel like I did as good of a job on this mm-hmm. one. Or like they discount their own service. Yeah. Oh, hell no. Nah. This is yeah. when it's especially important to make sure you over deliver. Yeah. You do not ever discount your prices, especially after the fact, because what you're doing is just admitting, admitting defeat. And you're just telling them, I'm actually not as good as you think I am, which is not good for the client. Like you want to, you want them to be confident. If you're hiring someone, you want them to be confident. The best thing to do is if you really, truly feel like you didn't deliver it, then do something more, offer more tuning, offer something else, do more, go out of your way. Like instead of giving them a $50 discount, pay $50 to get them to, to buy their merch or something like that, buy their artist merch for $50. So it's still $200, but you spend that $50 that you feel like you don't deserve helping them. Yeah, or, or a big or question get them a to always ask is like, what do you feel like was missing, or what do you think would resolve whatever this situation? Well, this be? is also like you know? mostly like an internal conflict. So I'm talking about yeah. like you feel like you you discount but your own some, services because you feel. But bad. sometimes people don't know what the issue is, and because of that, they jump to conclusions. So I always say like, listen. The issue could not have it could have possibly not been the mix. It could have possibly not been the service. You know, so at the same time that we're looking to go above and beyond, sometimes identifying what this seemingly issued topic is, we want to be able to correct that in the future. So asking these kind of questions, like, and just having conversations with people, even when things go well, it's like, hey, just out of curiosity, like, what really attracts you to working with me? I know we've done a couple projects together, and I've honestly really enjoyed working together, but what is it specifically that you've really enjoyed? Yeah, there you go. I I mean... Asking questionnaires and having people fill out a form on the intake. So we can talk about like websites and doing like a quote request form. No, I do that. So, and I automate mine. Yeah. Br- yeah. So briefly, um, if you do offer a per project service, because you do fluctuate your pricing based on demand and seasons, even, mm-hmm. you know, in summertime, yeah. I charge a little bit more than winter times because of yeah. demand um, or how much, you know, what it is, or if someone has a higher budget. So this is not cheating the system. It can feel like it, but it's not cheating the system. If you don't put on your price, but instead on your quote form, you ask for a budget. And if their budget that they said is higher than what you were planning on charging, mm-hmm. you can still make them feel like they're getting a discount by yeah. charging somewhere in between. Be like, hey, you know what? Usually I do charge what you ask, like a little bit more than what you asked for, but I'm actually going to charge, I'm going to charge you $25 less than what you asked for because I'm still making $50 more yeah. per song. And you know, like some, they, you can make them feel special. You can, you can play with it. Um, and that's good. You know, you want them to feel confident. You're not like playing with them. You're, you're making them feel like 
they're special, they're getting a deal and they're motivating you. Like, honestly, at the end of the day, when people go into Maserati, uh, not Maserati, but like Lamborghini, mm -hmm. they're not trying to get a discount on the car. Yeah. They're trying to get a premium car. Yeah. They like they almost want to pay more or pay the full ticket price. Yeah. So it's like you got to realize too, like even the consumer understands that mm -hmm. if they're paying more, they better get a better product. I'm not gonna lie, it doesn't even have to be a Lamborghini. When I chose my car, um, me and Anna went to different dealerships for six months. For six months, I went and chose a car. Um, Range Rovers were on the list and everything because at the time um, I had like really good contracts with like different labels and everything right before the pandemic. Pandemic hit, all those things got reset. But um, I'm really glad I didn't buy the Range Rover because of that because that was going to cost me roughly like a thousand a month, you know. But um, at the time I was looking around and I really kind of had that thought. I'm like, you know what? I really don't want to be paying this much, but no matter what amount I pay, I want to enjoy the car. It doesn't really matter what I pay. I want the car that I want. So when I went to Honda and bought my car, uh, they're like, oh, yeah, we have an all black Civic. I'm like, great. Can I see it? And I look at the inside. I'm like, this interior is tan. This is actually not what I was looking for. But had I never communicated that and that's what I paid for, then that's one issue. Right. But as long as people are communicating and everything, you can actually ask what they want. You'd be surprised. Some people, at no matter what price point, they actually have specifics that they're after. As long as you can hit those targets, sometimes those specifics aren't, I need a 720 horsepower engine. Sometimes it's, I just wanted black interior. I just wanted matching black rims. I just want black everything. And people it's are a very willing to pay more. Request. People yeah. are willing. So if you it didn't are... matter what the price of the car was because there was other cars in consideration. Your price actually was cheaper. So I was willing to pay the extra as long as I could get what I was after. So the, the metaphor to that would be, for example, if you niche, like if you are known to be the pop punk mixer. Yeah. People are, even if you're a lower level of a mixer, but because you specifically niched into a specific genre that everybody knows you for, you can actually charge more. Like that yeah. niche has value in it, just yeah. like the black Civic with the black interior. If they, People are willing to pay extra for specific trim yep. or specific detail, and that's one way to do it. So um, yeah, the metaphor for that is why you may want to niche down eventually. I will say that like offering only mixing is also a niche in itself. Yeah. Um, and you, and- a uh, quick thought tangent about uh, picking a niche is that you do not you do not force a niche. The niche will come to you. Meaning that like if you don't already know what you want a niche into, like don't try to force and create something and try something out. Like still at the beginning stages, I recommend everybody like expand and do everything yep. and find out what you don't like. By process of elimination, you're going to find what you want to niche down in. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I didn't decide to necessarily be a mixer until I realized I didn't want to track anymore. Yeah. Does that make sense? So it's like, let, let that niche come to you. Don't overthink it. Um, it's going to happen eventually. That just comes with uh, experience. All right, I think that's it for this this episode as far as what we wanted to talk about. Um, we talked about the importance of generating leads. We talked about the importance of, of not charging less, but to offer more and to mm -hmm. always over-deliver. Um, we didn't even talk about, like Brian Hood said, this is a cool number, like out of, um, you know, out of 100 people that go on your website, only 5% of them, only five of them will convert into filling out a quote request. Yeah. 
So you just want to generate as much people onto your website, as many impressions as possible. Um, One of those ways is is literally free uh, resources. Yeah. And honestly speaking, yeah, free resource, offering free resources. Sometimes it's as simple as just posting. And I know a lot of you motherfuckers out there, they're like, I don't like showing my face. I don't like doing this. I don't like posting. I will say that like you don't have to do it, but posting on social media constantly, not doom scrolling or not uh, creeping or lurking, but posting, actively posting, and or even commenting on other people's mm-hmm. posts, liking other people's posts, getting your name to show up on other people's profiles or other people's for, uh, uh, home feeds is one way to stay front of mind. And, and front of mind is always first to hire. Yeah. So- you know, post on social media, be active on there. Don't just, don't just lurk, be active on there. That is actually not a waste of time. That is one way that you can generate income, increase income. And that's more of a long-term strategy game. So don't be afraid to do that. And if you're not going to do that, you got to do other ways. You got to go out to the local club more often, whatever it takes. And there's so many, we need to like, what ways to network is an episode on its own, like different ideas. Um, and ways that I've increased clients mm-hmm. is so different from the way that you've increased clients yeah. and what the next person is going to do. I'll give a fun tip to anybody that's just getting started. Get If you have the time for a part-time job, go get a part-time job at a music shop. Musicians, that's, that's producers, it, and yeah. artists literally go there every day. And you, your job is to talk to them. So if you have uh, social anxiety, guess what? That's part of your training. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. That's a great way to get over it. Um, yeah. What is it? Uh, cognitive therapy or whatever it is. Anyway, yeah. so that's it for this episode. Hopefully, we we hope. I mean, this podcast, it's not just a mixing podcast. The, the main goal of this, the elevator pitch of this podcast is straight up. We help mixers learn the craft of mixing in order to build their business. So we hope that this episode kind of gave you some insight, gave you some food for thought, Got you, uh, you know, munching around on some ideas. And again, mm. at the end of the day, use the creativity that you have. Use your knowledge that you have to figure out what works for you. This is just guidelines. Um, Lou and I, both who are professionals, we both figured out how to build clients in completely different ways that don't relate to each other at all, nor will it yeah. ever relate to the next person. Everybody does their own thing. So at the end of the day, I think the only thing that we can recommend is to throw spaghetti on the wall, see what sticks, right? Uh, hopefully the sauce. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, on that note, we wish you the best. Happy mixing my friends and stay saucy. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.